We are so blessed in this church to have many musicians and singers and people who are gifted in the performing arts, dramatists, oratory people, people that can conceptualize things in fine arts. God is a creative God and he expresses his great beauty and amazing giftedness through the gifts that he gives to us in the church. We are privileged to have as a part of our family here, uh, Joe and Lindy Neman. And um, for those of you who are aware of the Angus Buchan prayer meetings and the Mighty Men meetings, you will have heard Joe sing and be used of God through our whole nation. And a few weeks ago, I think it was the morning service, um, one of Joe and Lindy's children came like marching across the frontier, just um, jiving and celebrating the goodness of God. I don't know if he's um, three or four. And um, Rulof spoke to him and he just asked for some prayer because he'd had a dry season and um, not much of what he was seeking God for and trying to express through the writing of his own songs and in the production of these songs. I think he had about two songs. And as we prayed as a church, God just opened up these doors again and all of a sudden he'd written 11 songs. And next thing, um, I think it was J.B. Arthur who did the producing, there was this Philharmonic Orchestra, there was a whole uh, national choral group. Listen to the cello in this song. I asked him if I could play one of his songs. The CD just came out, most full-time Musicians live off their gifting and their trade and God said, no, give it away. This whole CD, give it away. I will provide for your needs. So he's given the CD away. You can't get it on Apple Music because they don't know how to put something on that's not being sold and that doesn't have rights and whatever, it's just there. So listen to the song, because when I asked Joe for permission to play it, he said, yes, but just play it loud. <laughs> play it loud, it must get you in your, your soul. Listen to these words, because we don't have them to put up. Um, I'm sure you'll come across them later. This particular song is called God of Heaven. God of Heaven, you owe me nothing but obliteration. God of heaven, I am approaching with expectation. For none can come unless you call. So here I am, my king. I cannot stand, I crawl towards this veil of flesh, tearing. Holy, holy, holy. The earth is filled with his glory. God of heaven, my spirit aches for consummation. God of heaven, this most holy place was behind 
your invitation. None can come unless you call. So here I am, my king. I cannot stand, I crawl toward the veil of flesh, tearing. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus gave up his spirit and that curtain tore that separated the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies? And all of us can come freely into that holy place of God. This is the longing of this song. So please play it loud and strong and listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. And from there we'll go straight into, well, I think the message has begun tonight. Listen to what God is saying. Holy place 
What a gift. The heart of God, no one can come unless God calls. We sit here tonight because someone told us about the Lord Jesus Christ. As unique as we are as people and as diverse as our lives are, we sit here tonight because someone told us about Jesus. It is always my privilege to preach the word of God, always. I'll never take it for granted. But I'm preaching the word of God to you tonight because someone told me about the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can come unless you call. So here I am, my king. For some of us, it came together in a moment. But for many of us, there were successive points in our lives where as we look back, we can see the Lord working over and over again, wooing us, yearning for us, inviting us in his grace and in his mercy, showing us his love. We are sitting here this evening because someone had the courage to connect with us and to tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. God continues right up to this very day to call through his church, through people like you and me, to call others to come. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to begin from verse 11. We've been working through this theme for most of the year and the passage that we're using for this theme is Matthew chapter five. It fits into what is known as the Sermon on the Mount and it's where the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples and the followers and he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, it just becomes like dust or sand and it must be thrown out underfoot. You are the light of the world. And then, He says in verse 16 of chapter five, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. This month, we begin a new emphasis on this theme. It's around Easter, around Passover, and at the end of the month, we've spoken about this love week. Some have asked us and said, do we need to take the whole week off? Some of us can't take that leave. What about just a day or two? And yes, that's what we will take with everything we've got as we reach out into this community in practical ways to love and to express this love of God and to fulfill this mandate to let our light shine before people so that they would see our good works. 
and bring glory to God who is in heaven. Really has been preaching over the last two weeks about the importance of not wasting our lives, not wasting the opportunities that God gives us and the significance of living our life with purpose and on purpose and in the purpose of God because it stretches onto the other side of eternity. And as we come to look at the practical application of all of what God has been saying to us and as we prepare ourselves to reach out into this next month, it's very significant. We look at Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. He probably wrote three, we only have two in the Bible. The first was quite a scathing reprimand. There were people doing all sorts of strange things. We're gonna celebrate communion tonight at the end of this time together. Back in Corinth, people were getting a bit tipsy on their second and third and fourth glass of wine. And Paul had to say this rabbi to these crazy Greeks, look, that's not how we do church. If you wanna eat, go home and eat there and don't get drunk. Imagine communion where a couple of people are swaggering around out the back door for a coffee afterwards. That was the church that Paul's writing to. They said to him rather cheekily, you're all humble and meek when you're with us, and then when you go away, you become like this kind of ravaging lion. And he says, okay, no problem. If you think I'm being kind of hypocritical or sort of inconsistent, you would like me to come with a whip the next time I come visit you. How's that for pastoral care? And in the second letter, He's commending them for changing their lives and turning them around and honoring God. The man that was sleeping with his stepmother stopped doing that. He says, bring this man back into the fellowship of the church. Encourage him. As he gets to chapter five in the beginning, he answers the question that people were asking about what happens when we die? What will our bodies look like in heaven? It's a long time to have the body we're gonna get. Right now, if you're not happy with your body, don't worry, it's gonna change. The concern was, what's it gonna be like? What will I look like? Will people recognize me? Some teach that we're not even gonna have a body in heaven. Have you heard that heresy? We're just spirits, like cruising around on some spiritual superhighway there. No, the Lord Jesus had a body. When he was resurrected from the dead, the disciples didn't recognize him. He looked different. Remember when Peter got to the beach? He knew it was the Lord because the Lord had said at first, cast your net on the other side. He was the fisherman. A rabbi doesn't tell a fisherman how to fish. But when they cast their net on the other side, it was so full. It happened again after Peter had denied him. And the Lord comes and has a bry on that beach and reinstates him. He had a body because when he came through the wall in the upper room where they'd locked the door, Thomas couldn't believe and he said, show me your wounds and he put his finger into the holes in his wrist where he'd hung on that cross, into his side where the soldiers had shoved that javelin and saw the clotted blood and the water separate. They knew he was stone dead. And Thomas puts his hand in his resurrected body into that same wound. That's what the Lord Jesus' body will look like. We'll see it one day. And because he thought that they thought he was a ghost, he said, have you got some food? 
give me a piece of fish, and he swallowed it. It didn't plop and hit the ground because he was a ghost. He had a body. And as Paul writes about what this body will be like, in the beginning of chapter five, he says, right now we're like tents. It's like going camping. And after camping for as glorious as it is, I love the change of seasons this time of the year. It's a good time to go camping. To sit outside of a fire, to drink something hot when everything else is cold. But camping reaches its sell-by date, especially if it rains. And he says, when you finish camping, you fold up the tent and you pack it away. And that's exactly what our lives will be like when they end on earth. It will be like our tents, our bodies folding up. But when we fold up our tents, we receive a mansion in heaven. It's a mansion that our resurrected bodies are going to look like. Sometimes we get a bit frustrated, Eugene Peterson says, because it's like staying in a squatter camp. We get sick and tired of it. But our current struggles aren't worth comparing with the glory that is gonna be revealed in us. And so we persevere. And so we trust and live by hope. And we wait. <coughs> Excuse me. And then he comes to verse 11. Now, here's where I'd like to start concluding the sermon tonight. But it's going to be a long conclusion. <laughs> because every single aspect that comes out of these next few verses to the end of the chapter is, in fact, an application of the foundation that we're setting for this month as we start reaching out and impacting our community. At the end of this passage, we're going to look to John's gospel and his first chapter and what Andrew did, one of John the Baptist's disciples, when he went after realizing that it was the Lamb of God, the Messiah, and he went and he called his brother. Let's read together the heart of God as we start reaching out and the mandate that we've been given. Remember what I said as we started, I'm standing preaching the word of God to you tonight because someone had the courage. In fact, in my life, there were many people that asked me, what do I believe about the Lord Jesus Christ? I was one big reaction to institutionalized religion in a boys, all boys church boarding school. And I hated it. I didn't fit in. I came home and I said to my parents, what are we? My mom said, we're Christians. I said, but we're not Christians like these guys. I mean, there's like chapel every morning. I don't even have a decent voice and I'm in the choir. You have to have a really, really bad voice though. I was an altar boy, I wasn't confirmed. Whenever the priest came around to offer the sacraments, I had to go like this. And he like really got quite assertive. <clears throat> I asked my mom, what are we? She said, we're Christians. I said, why? She said, we're not Jewish. We're not Muslim. We're not Hindu. We're Christians. I said, mom, how can we be Christians because we're not Jewish? I said, we don't even go to church. My mom said, you don't have to go to church. You can speak to God in the garden. I said, did he say that? My dad started getting uncomfortable behind the Sunday times. He'd like just duck behind it. It's like me and my mom asking, what are we? Who are we? Where do we fit in? If we're Christians, what role does the Lord Jesus Christ have in our lives? 
And one day, a good friend who was an amazing athlete, his name was Philip, his dad was an Anglican priest as well. He said to me, Peter, all you ever do is criticize the church because of the hypocrisy that you see in it. I said, well, what do you think? The God of these people is money and everyone's being confirmed and they're swearing like troopers the next day and people pretend in chapel. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Maybe with my dad in his own business, he was very entrepreneurial. But the one thing I knew I definitely never wanted to be was a priest. He was weird, this priest. We stayed opposite the Catholic Church in Ravonia. That priest also, my mom said, no, no, you don't go there. We Protestants, they Catholic. I thought, goodness. So we're Christians because we're not Jewish or Muslim or Hindu, but we're not Catholics. What are we? And Philip said to me one day, you're just a reaction to the wrong. But what do you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is he to you? Listen to what Paul says to this church as he goes on to the application of what it means to live in the reality of eternity because none can come unless God calls them. But God is calling all the time and this is our mandate and our responsibility. Hence the application for the message tonight. Listen to the word of God. Verse 11, Paul starts off by saying, since then, we know what it is to respectfully revere the Lord, or maybe in your Bible you'll have that word, fear the Lord there. Since then, we know what it is to revere the Lord. We try to persuade others. There's the first application point. We try to persuade others. The word of God says, always be ready to give those that may ask you for a reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have when asked, but do so with gentleness and with respect. Always be ready. You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to know all the Bible, even be able to quote a verse, but you need to know who the Lord is for you, and that becomes your testimony and that is the most significant impact that you can make upon another human being. You cannot convert anybody. We're not called to convert people. We're call, called to be a witness to God. And the best way we can be a witness is a vibrant, thriving relationship with Him. Walking in the Spirit, listening to Him. We've sung these songs tonight. Lord, give me the way you see people. Give me a vision. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, was what we started off singing and celebrating tonight. How did you come to know the Lord Jesus? Someone told you, and that becomes now our mandate. Since then, we know what it is to respectfully revere the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I also hope it's plain to your conscience. Paul speaks to this church again. Remember, there was a little bit of um, argy-bargy going on here in the previous letter. Verse 12, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again. We're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us. 
so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. He's obviously speaking about those who don't know the love of God yet. So that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, just this life, rather than what is in the heart. I was speaking to Adrian and Kirsten earlier on tonight. They've just accomplished something amazing this weekend. On Saturday and Sunday, they cycled. I think it was 70 odd Ks on Saturday, Adrian. 75 exactly, is it? And about 40, 45 Ks. I know this because my favorite youngest son wasn't there on Saturday. He came in somewhere in the afternoon and he was walking a bit like John Wayne after he'd been on a horse for about a week. <laughs> and I'm told that that saddle on the, the bike gets quite stevig after a while, you know. <laughs> then to discover that that's not the end, that was just Saturday. Today, that same saddle was like um, traversing all sorts of boulders and rocks and tufts of grass and whatever. So here's the point, my boy, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to pay you back and humiliate you here publicly. I'm just, um, I'm saying what faith is, is I thought that was amazing, that my favorite youngest guy's been on a bike for like over 100 Ks this weekend. But Kirsten sits on the back of a tandem. This is off-road, it's mountain biking. There's some corners like hairpin bends and things that Stuart hardly managed. I'm so glad, Stuart, you didn't break something, my boy, and you're still looking relatively healthy there. But here's the thing about faith and the difference between what is seen and what is unseen. You wanna know who's got faith on the tandem? It's not the man steering up front, it's his wife sitting behind who's just trusting him. When he leans, she leans. She must have amazing faith, Kirsten. Because we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And the analogy is exactly what Paul is saying to this church here. We need to be able to answer those. Verse 13, if we're out of our mind, as some say, then it's for God. And he's being sarcastic here and he's saying, so if we are in our right mind, then it's for you. Now listen to this word after persuade and to be able to have an answer. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us Christ's love compels us. These are imperatives. They are strong injunctions. It's the conclusion of this life of love experienced the beginning of eternity that has started because we understand the love of God in Christ. And it's his love that compels us. It's a strong word, compel. Because here's another word, we are convinced We are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. He died for all, verse 15, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The application of the word of God is clear in terms of the privilege we have. We sit here tonight because 
Someone or maybe many people told us about the Lord Jesus Christ. This now becomes our privilege. And so in verse 16, he says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. <clears throat> Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Not the world, not anyone else, not even Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, now listen to this next application, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How did we come to be new? How do we come to be new in Christ with the old gone and the new being all that the purpose of God is, not wasting our life, living in this newness of life? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then what? And then gave us this privileged ministry of reconciliation. What is this privileged ministry of reconciliation? Verse 19 says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. There's the message. However you wanna put that to the people that you live amongst, your neighbors, your work colleagues, people in your family that know you're one of these reborn Christians, these weirdos. However you want to put this message, here's the message of reconciliation. God is in this world reconciling people to himself through Christ. This is Joe's song, God of heaven. No one can come unless you call. I can't stand in your presence. I crawl towards you, Lord Jesus, who in your flesh was that curtain tearing so that I can come into the Holy of Holies. It is the Holy of Holies intimacy with God that he wants with us for all eternity. This is what we have in Christ. This is our privilege to share that with others. He has entrusted to us not just this extreme privilege of being reconciled to him because he has washed our sin away. The wrath of God against sin has been fully vent in Christ. That's what we're coming to celebrate in Passover. Now we are free. And now he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, it gets more intense. I can't shout or scream any louder. I'm gonna start squeaking like I did this morning. He comes to this glorious conclusion, these last two verses, verse 20 and 21 of this amazing chapter. Here's what he concludes. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you know what it is to have political immunity living in another country because you're an ambassador for your country? Do you know what it is to live in a consulate? A little bit of a hiccup in the news recently about the guy from WikiLeaks who might be kicked out of the Venezuelan consulate in, is it London? 
where he's been housed up for about the last four years. You cannot walk into your own country, into a consulate. People have political immunity. We, in this world, are Christ's ambassadors. What an amazing privilege. Every single one of us, not the pastoral team, not the elders. You are Christ's ambassador. I am Christ's ambassador. And listen to this. As though God himself were making his appeal through us. As though God himself was making, is making his appeal through us to that person that we're connecting with. Remember what I said, we cannot convert someone. No one converted us in the truth that was shown us in Christ, in those people or person that came. We came to know Christ because someone told us, but God transformed us. God is transforming us. All we are called to do is to be a witness, a testimony, trying to persuade, having an answer. We're Christ's ambassadors, and it's as if God himself were making that appeal through us. In this message, be reconciled to God, because he will not hold your sin against you. Your sin can be diminished, it can be wiped away, and you can be right with God. That's the message. A wonderful, mature leader in the Christian faith in a previous century said this, preach the gospel on every occasion, at every opportunity and which, in whichever way you can, and where you have to use words. Preach the gospel on every occasion, any way you can, using all the opportunities that are given to you and where you have to use words, St. Francis of Assisi. Let your light so shine before men and women and children and bosses and neighbors and family members and people that despise you but maybe they're longing in their hearts for God. Every opportunity, let your light shine, preach the gospel, be an ambassador as if God himself were making his appeal through you because you leave the results to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we become the righteousness of God. That's the message. Every, anyone ever ask you, how do you become a Christian? That's the verse. And that's the opportunity to, you have to receive it. That's why we're sitting here tonight. That's why I now call myself a Christ follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus. As we close, turn with me to John chapter one.
In John chapter one, verse 40, John records Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had begun to follow the Lord Jesus. The first thing Andrew did, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And here's our application as we close tonight, verse 42. And Andrew brought Simon to the Lord Jesus. We have a bookmark that we'd like to give you with seven spaces at the bottom called my contact list. It is called Operation Andrew because when the Billy Graham crusade came out to our country about 25 years ago, they got the church praying in life groups, in small groups, in cell groups, in home groups, where people prayed and said, Lord, show me the kind of people that I make contact with in everyday life. And I want to start putting their names down and trusting you for opportunities to form a relationship, to pray for them, and Lord willing to see you give me an opportunity to lead them. I had seven people's names and over the process of about two and a half years, I had the privilege of seeing three people come to faith. Two and a half years, three people out of a list of seven. On my list still is one of my brothers. Two people have died. I'll never know what their relationship with God was like there. Three came to faith and God privileged me to have a personal hand in that. I still have this card in my Bible. And we're giving this card out because it says here, invite and bring the lost. Operation Andrew is a strategy that helps believers impact their city, their family and friends, co-workers with the good news. All of us know people who need Jesus and are not plugged into a local church. Let's do our part by praying for and inviting and bringing others to the barn so that they can hear the good news. On the back, it says four, five things. The first point is look around. And the point here is your mission is right where you are, where you live, where you work, or go to school or varsity, list names of individuals you know who need Jesus Christ and pray for them regularly, so look around. Second point, look up. God changes people through prayer. Pray each day for those on your list. God will give you opportunities to share his love. Remember the words of St. Francis of Assisi. Third, look out. Look out for ways to cultivate relationships and friendships. Earn the confidence of those that you're reaching out to. An invitation to dinner or a sporting event could possibly open a discussion that could lead to talking about the Lord Jesus. Look forward. Begin to talk with each person on your list, looking for the appropriate moment to be able to give them an invitation, perhaps to come to a life group, perhaps to share a meal with some Christian friends, perhaps even to come to church. 
And then number five, we're anticipating with faith that we need to look after them once they've made this commitment to Christ. Those who respond to Christ will show any interest in the gospel. They need your encouragement. Continue to love them and pray for them and even for those who have not yet responded. Remember to encourage all those on your list to attend your home church regularly if they do not have a home church. There's the operation, Andrew. Prayer card. Do you know how focused we become and aware of how many opportunities God gives us when we're praying for people? It's amazing. All the cards we printed today are gone in the first two services. So what sort of a salesman am I that promotes this thing and now we've got nothing? Well, let me just say, like those of you still dribbling when I described that there are these lovely pancakes outside with cinnamon and sugar and drizzled lemon, man. In the course of this week, through your life groups, through your life group leaders, and certainly next week, we'll have as many Operation Andrew cards as you want. This is not a fad, it's not a phase, it's not a quick fix. We are going to continue looking and trusting God. We've set a target of 500 people coming to know the Lord this year through this church. I think we're up at about, I don't know, between 75 and early 100s. Can you believe it? Watch what God does.